you have a Bible, you can join me in looking at 1 Peter this morning. We're studying the book of 1 Peter. And this morning we're going to focus on identity, uh, who we are. It is a very important matter. Uh, so you could say, I'm going to help you with your identity issues today. Uh, you might not even know you have identity issues, but you probably do. Um, if we don't understand who we are, uh, even in a natural way, in a naturalistic way, apart from the Bible, apart from being a Christian, uh, it makes life a lot harder. When you're growing up, you're trying to figure out your place, your group, where do you fit in, what are your hobbies, what are your sports, what are your interests, and, and if you can figure out kind of who you are, your identity, it makes things a lot better. It's hard with kids, especially. Sometimes it's hard with adults. Because if I don't know who I am, it's really hard to function, it's hard to have confidence, it's hard to make sense of things. And it is like that even in the Christian life. If we don't understand who we are, it's really hard to understand how we relate to other people. If we don't understand who we are in relationship to our environment, the world we're living in, it makes it hard. And so what First Peter does is it helps us to understand our identity in Christ and our identity in this present world. In chapter 1, verse 1, he describes Christians as elect exiles. Elect exiles. And that right there, as we saw when we started this study, that, that gives us a, a, a compressed preview of what the whole book is going to be about. Peter, the apostle of Jesus, tells Christians that they, he labels Christians, he calls Christians elect exiles. Kind of oil and water-ish. But you've got to understand that as your identity. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're elect. It means chosen. The Bible says chosen before the foundation of the world. It means you have all, all that Christ has gained for you. Sometimes we say Christ and all of His benefits. It means you have, if you're elect, you have forgiveness, you have justification, sanctification, guaranteed glorification, and any other action you might need. Right? You have it all. You have everything you would need, and it will last for eternity. It's irreversible. It's yours to be enjoyed. You've been adopted into the family of God, and you have all of the blessings, all of the promises, all that you would ever want or need. Elect. And you're also an exile. (laughs) You're also a stranger. You're also someone who doesn't belong. And this is the oil and water thing, right? I remember first becoming a Christian, and I was under the illusion that most people would be happy. The gospel made sense to me. Somebody explained it to me. Somebody had the audacity to question the sincerity of my faith. And, And it hit me like a ton of bricks, right, in a good way. And it was the light bulb moment. And this is amazing. This is awesome. I can't wait to tell all my friends in the weight room. I can't wait to tell, oh, especially family members, especially ones who go to church a lot, they're going to be so happy. And a lot of it was anything but happy. And, it, and I'm just naive. It was very puzzling. I did the right thing. I believed in Jesus. Why the rub? Why the weird looks? Why the, the rub from people I thought would be the most happy? Because you're in exile. Because this is not heaven. Because this is not, to borrow from the writer of Hebrews and other places, this is not the new Jerusalem. 
And so you've got to realize where you're living in the in-between time. And so your identity is a bit mixed in a sense, at least in the here and now time, right? You're elect. Awesome. Exile. Not so awesome. And Peter borrows from the Old Testament a lot because Israel would be exiled. Babylonian captivity, for example, and they want to be in Jerusalem and they can't be in Jerusalem and they want to enjoy all the great blessings that they had when they were there and they can't and it's a rub and there's persecution and there's difficulty. And so he's borrowing all of that kind of imagery and terminology, but he's doing it to help people who, let's be honest, aren't like us, but they're like us. If you can understand more fully that you're belonging to God, all of the benefits, but you're not experiencing all of them in the here and now, you're going to be okay. (laughs) You're going to be able to make it. Not only are you going to be able to make it, you're going to be freed up to live a Christ-honoring life. And you're going to be freed up to be able to have joy no matter what. And you're going to be able to see straight and actually make a difference in this world. It's going to help a ton. Identity, elect exile. This morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 13 and following. I'm not sure how much following, but we're going to keep moving our way through this, but we're going to see the same thing. It's going to be challenging people like you and people like me with thinking clearly about what is yours in the future so you can live a better life in the now. Is what we're doing this morning. So if you look, it's answer, really it's answering the question, how do I do this? How do I live a Christ-honoring life? Now that I know I'm an elect exile, how, how, can I, how can I live? How can I live to honor God? How can I live a successful Christian life? And so let's go ahead and look at verses 13 and 14 by way of review, and then we'll press on. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, here's the command, set your hope your confidence fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ. So be thinking about the future. He's been telling us earlier before that about how great that will be because Christ has has died for our sins and He's secured forgiveness and He's been raised from the dead and He's coming again for us to experience all these blessings. And He's saying the way you're going to live your Christian life now amidst good news and bad news and conflict and happiness, is you're going to fix your your ultimate attention on what you're going to experience then. And it's going to bolster you. It's going to build you up in the now so you can face things and stuff. Okay? Because our lives are filled with things and stuff. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. So let's keep moving then. Verse 14, As obedient children... Really, really good that we see, and it's important that we see. He doesn't just call for, for plain obedience. We're obedient children because of what Jesus has done. We've already learned about that. We're in the family. So now our motivation for obedience is different. I'm not trying to obey to get in. I'm obeying because I am in. Let's keep going then. Do not be conformed, molded into, shaped into the passions. You could translate it lusts of your former ignorance. Before, shaped, molded in ignorance. Whatever the next thing is. Whatever the next feeling is. No, now our mind sees things differently. We know things about Christ. And so we're going to resist the conformity and we are going to actually enjoy the transformity because it transforms us to be thinking about what is to be ours. 
I think this is exciting stuff because I know that I know that I know that I know that if I could have this and own this stuff, it would really make Pat a more stable person. Now we're going to start a new section that's going to be talking essentially about the same things but with different angles. He's going to call us to live holy in light of the future experience of seeing Jesus. So let's look at verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, in all your behavior. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Let's talk about that. The command of God is not only to have your mind set, but it's also to be holy. Why should we be holy? Because we have a new father who is holy, right? We belong, we're children, so be holy because I'm holy. What is that? Well, be like God. Well, is he saying be Trinitarian because I'm Trinitarian? Is that what he means? The word holy means different, and there's only one triune God, and so, Pat, be Trinitarian because I'm Trinitarian. Be omnipresent because I'm omnipresent. That, that's a, an aspect of God's holiness. No other God is omnipresent. No, he doesn't mean that. But he definitely means different. Distinct. Somehow, if you're a Christian, God says, in light of you becoming a Christian, I want you to be different. I want you to be distinct. I want you to stand out and not be like you used to be when you just did whatever felt right or whatever you were getting shaped into and molded into. Christians are called to be holy. Different. And I'm going I'm to use negative connotation words and I don't mean for it to be, but I really want you to understand. Strange. Weird. Odd. That all sounds too negative, but I'm trying to, trying to help you. Because what we think, and when we, when we hear holy and we're not church people, we just think it's negative because there's the holier-than-thou crowd. The Bible's calling you to be holier-than-thou. Different from unbelievers. You've experienced saving grace, and now you should live like you've experienced saving grace. And it means living differently. Now, Christians have really struggled with what this looks like. Everything from this means we shouldn't use cars, shouldn't use electricity, we shouldn't play card games, we shouldn't see movies, maybe we'll call them films instead. Christians struggle with this, a real struggle sometimes. We can learn a little bit about this from the Old Testament, even though Old Covenant and New Covenant are very different. But imagine if you were, and I'm not, I'm not telling you this is what you're supposed to do, but under the old covenant for the Jews, food laws that made them different, they stood out. Certain articles of clothing made with only certain fabrics that made them different. Circumcision made the males different, right? Worshiping the one true living God instead of many gods made them different. They had all these things that, that marked them out. Distinct. Unique. We might say, odd. But at least we can read that and understand they, they, they stood out. In the New Covenant, we, we, you know, we can eat lobster, it's okay. Acts chapter 10. Um, a lot of those things are gone. 
We're not a holy nation, per se. Christianity is made up of all nations. We don't have a holy king like Israel did. Uh, We don't have a holy military like Israel did. So there's a lot of things that are different. We don't have holy shovels. They had holy shovels. Only for the temple, because they're only to be used for that and not other unmentionable things. But we can at least understand that, that, that there's been a history of holiness, distinction. I mean, it didn't start with Israel either. It starts with God because He's not like the gods of the nations. He's not like the other gods. Uh, to the point where we all know the famous passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where the angels are repeatedly, probably not just three times, holy, 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 unique, distinct, different, one, true, Paul says, living God. So what does it mean for you to be holy and for me to be holy? I haven't answered it yet, have I? Let's go to the next verse. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going to give you my ways to do it, right? That's what we tend to do. I think we can summarize it by saying we should do what what the Bible says we're supposed to do. In particular, as New Covenant people. So we're going to read the Bible in context, as it would apply to us. What What does God want me to do? It's kind of interesting by way of a contrast... It says later on in this book, because he's going to keep talking about the same things, in chapter 4, he's going to say in verse 2, no longer for human passions, lusts, but for the will of God. And he goes on to unpack what that looks like a little bit. I don't want to get there yet, but not just what I want to do. If I'm going to be holy, I want to do the will of God. What does God say? What did Jesus teach his disciples? What do, what, do his, what do the apostles tell us to do? What does the Christian life look like? It affects our language. It, is, it affects our morality. It affects our thinking. We're to be different. You could look at the different. You could look at the fruit of the spirit and say, well, "That's how, that's what it looks like." Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, self-control, love and all of this. Or you can look at the negative passages like 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, you were a drunkard, you were a homosexual, you were an adulterer, you were a fornicator, you were an idolater, you were a liar, you were a... But you were washed, you were cleansed. All of these things happened because of God's grace. You didn't earn it. But now, live like holy people. Live differently. And so, as I mentioned last week, Christians are called to to obey. Not to gain our adoption, but because Christ has gained it for us, we're called to be holy. Right? The command used to be, be holy for I am holy, and none of us make it. Christ secures it for us, and now we're called to live holy lives on the other side of things. If I can get this through to my mind, I don't have to be be misled and carried away by legalism, people making up their own rules that sound good, or taking them from the wrong places in the Bible. But on the other hand, I, I shouldn't just be molded and shaped into something that is dishonoring to God. Make sense? I think it makes lots of sense. It's hard to do. We're not called to do it alone. We're not called to do it in our own power. But we're called to do it, to stand out.
he makes it pretty broad too. He just doesn't talk about, um, look in verse 15, in all your conduct. I think that's pretty helpful. It's one thing for Pat to, to, to be holy in his church conduct in front of everybody. But is that guy a jerk to his wife? Not supposed to be. I have no excuse for being. How does he talk? What are his ethics like? What does he do when nobody's watching? And I'm using myself because I'm trying not to pick on you, right? Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But it's not supposed to stay alone. To be different. Elect, exile, hard. How do you want me to live, God? How can I do this? I want you to be holy for I'm holy. Live a different kind of life. Well, we should move on and talk about motivation a little bit because you guys are all just looking at me like you really want me to move on for fear I call some of you out. (laughs) Now some motivation. I think you can summarize verse 17 as we're called to live like children of the judge. Think about living as a child of a judge. Verse 17 says, And if you call on Him as Father, and we do in light of verse 14, we call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time, throughout the time of your exile. So, Throughout your time of exile, you should have a life that is a a fearful life because you're calling the judge daddy. It's It's a good picture. It's a really good picture. I think if it was the only verse in our passage, I might come to a different theological conclusion about a lot of things, but I'm not gonna. Everything we've seen so far is, is we've, we have what we have because of grace. We have what we have because of what Christ did. We, we, the inheritance is guarded and protected to be revealed, right? We don't have to earn it. It's all come to us. We are the children. We have been adopted. All of that is ours. And then he says, now be living a fearful life of holiness because you're calling Father the one who is your honor judge he's not saying you you should be fearful of your condemnation Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ and Peter and Paul would get along fine and Mary would agree see what I did there (laughs) pretty bad I know (laughs) a few too many espressos this morning okay so No condemnation. So however it is I'm supposed to fear His honor, the judge, is not of terrorizing fear of condemnation. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't be afraid of the judge. I'm calling Him Daddy, but He's none other than the judge. Makes sense to want to honor Him and do what's pleasing to Him and not live a terrible life I'm a child of a judge. 
I don't know how to illustrate this better than he just did. And so it's not going to be as good as that, but I, I just think of growing up. And, and some of you grew up with maybe no father or a bad father uh, or, or abusive father or whatever it might be. The good news is you have a good, kind, heavenly father. I had a pretty good dad. Not perfect. So, I'm gonna, but I, so just share my illustration if you need to. I was afraid of my dad. But I wasn't afraid he was going to hurt me. I never was afraid he was going to kick me out even. I was afraid of my dad. One thing I wish... I'm going to lay down on the counseling couch for just a second. I wish, I wish my dad would have lived longer because he died when I think I was 19 and I never got to be my dad's friend. I wish I could have been my dad's friend. But I was afraid of my dad. I can remember one time we were, I, I had a job because my dad got me this job and, and he told the owner of the company, if anything, don't make it easier on my son, make it harder on my son. Thanks, Dad. Uh, so we were installing telephone, fiber optic cable underground down when they were doing the redo at 30th Street. It's probably, I don't know, 35 years ago. Sorensen Parkway, 30th Street. And we were working 92 and a half hour work weeks. It was crazy. I made so much money, it wasn't even funny. And I was the ditch digger, right? And I remember one day, at the end of the first week, there was a man there. We'll call him John, because that was his name. <laughs> and he just started bawling. He's just bawling. And he left. He quit the job. And it was a weird kind of surreal kind of moment. And the other workers said, we thought it was going to be you because I was 18. And I thought to myself, I would die before I quit this job. Right? Number one, I'm making a lot, of, a lot of cash. But number two, to tell my dad that I dishonored him by quitting a job, never, ever, ever, ever. Okay, not perfect, but you get the idea. I, I, I could have quit and gone home and he wouldn't have said, I disown you as my son. I hate you. No, he wouldn't have done that. That wasn't it. I just wanted to honor him because he was in a position of respect and authority and he provided for me my whole life. If you're a child of the judge, and you are if you're a Christian, you call the judge father, it would only make sense that you would want to do what would honor, to him, honor him and not dishonor him. See, it's a different kind of motivation. It's not condemnation. It's wanting to honor the one who's none other than the honorable one. You used to not know he was honorable. Now you know he's honorable. We better keep moving. Let's go now to verse 18. Knowing. Back to the mind, right? Christianity is a religion of the mind and body. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. It wasn't the good old days in your unbelieving life. No, you were freed. You were ransomed from that. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Silver or gold, how valuable are those things? He's picking hugely valuable things. It wasn't like you were set free by valuable things. What? 
You are set free by something far more valuable than the most valuable things is what he's going to say. So this produces gratitude. It's an awesome point. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, see more value like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I love the way he does it. He doesn't say you weren't set free by piles of manure. You were set free by something costly. No. You weren't set free by the things that are the most costly. You were set free by things that are more costly than the most costly. See, it's awesome. Christ, His blood shed for you. He did this for you. Provision sent by the Father. Obedient Son. Perfect atonement. Can it be? Yes, it can be. And that's how you were set free. So it doesn't make any sense to climb back into the muck and mire of the pigsty. Don't do that. Don't do that. It doesn't make sense. That's one reason why we want to talk about Christ frequently. We want to talk about Christ carefully. We want to talk about Christ and showing how, how great He is. And by the way, you can hear how great He is and I will never tell you how great He is enough because He's far greater than even me telling you that He's great. But we want to see Christ exalted and elevated and be mesmerized by how great He is and how He gave Himself up for us because that actually is designed to be the kindling, if you will, on the fire and to stoke the fire so that we say, I want to obey. That was a great price. I want to obey. So that's why so many times, yes, I want to say to you, if you're, if you're living a sinful life, I want to say, stop. It's stupid, it's destructful, it doesn't make sense. It's ugly. I want to say all those things, but I also want to take your hand, by, take your hand and, and, and have a little come to Jesus meeting, right? To say, consider, consider Christ. Consider the beauty of Christ. Consider the greatness of Christ. That his salvation is kept by him in heaven for you, ready to be revealed at the right time, the last time. So good. Perspective. First Peter's about perspective. If I can have that perspective, I can be an elect exile and I can make it through and I can live for his honor and his glory. Let's move on to verse 20. Are we on verse 20? I think we're on verse 20. Verse 20. He was foreknown. It's, it's affection beforehand, foreloved. So there's something special even before time regarding him. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. I think maybe what's going on is, is, is this. If you're a Christian and, you, and you're maybe feeling the rub, the tension from unbelievers and, you know, is it really worth it? And is Christ really that great because this over here looks better and the hurt I'm experiencing in the here and now is really hurtful? That's Jesus, you know, son of a carpenter, Nazareth of all places. I think he's purposely reminding us and bolstering up our view of Christ. Foreknown! is the one. He's the eternal one. He's the one who existed before time. That's the spotless lamb that we're talking about. You want to talk about value? You want to talk about greatness? We're not talking about the kid from the wrong side of the block or the wrong side of the tracks, I should say. No. 
foreknown before the foundation of the world. You want to live for something valuable? You want to be devoted to someone valuable? You want to find motivation for holiness? Look at that. That's how we were redeemed from that kind of Savior. But was made, look there, but was made manifest or shown, revealed word in the last times for the sake of you. Ha, 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 right? Why did I just do that? Personal. It's for you. So before the foundation of the world, foreknown, the eternal Son, grand, magnificent, glorious, beyond what we could even comprehend or imagine. And then he just comes down like this and says, it's for you. Personal. Sometimes, sometimes the pastor should know when to shut up. That's what I should say. Typical in evangelicalism is it's all the emphasis on you and for you to the point where we don't even talk about Jesus anymore because it's so assumed. I'm painting with a broad brush, I know. But it's amazing how little people know about Jesus, but they know he's their personal savior. And it's tragic. But we do have to be careful at Omaha Bible Church for you, personal. I think I've mentioned this before. Um, it's, it's interesting uh, when we have people write out their testimony because they want to be baptized or become a church member or whatever it might be, and we're not asking for a lot. We're asking for something. You know, what is the gospel? Um, how did you become a Christian? Basic things, good things. But it's interesting how you see some, it's, it's all personal, and there's little said about who Jesus is or what he did. Not, not a lot of theology, if you want to say that that way. But then sometimes there are the other ones. It's all about what Christ has done and it's thick and it's deep and it's great. And sometimes, not always, there's next to nothing if not nothing said about how that great, awesome, amazing, majestic, powerful Savior saved me. And let's remember, if we're going to be good strangers and aliens or good elect Exiles, thank you. It's hard when you learn different translations, right? If we're going to be good elect exiles, kept in heaven for you by the mighty power of Christ, robust, profound, strong, and great for you. Ah, yeah. Yep. Okay, good. It's both. It's not either. Then it says in verse 21, who through him are believers in God. That's intriguing. How is it that I came to believe in Jesus? Because I definitely believed in Jesus, and we definitely need to believe in Jesus, but that even comes from somewhere, who through him are believers in God. 
who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Here I am living my Christian life, struggling, having a difficult time fitting in, feeling the rub here, feeling the rub there. And maybe some of my friends are even trying to convince me, you know what, it's not worth it. Maybe it'd be a better idea to do this. Life is happier when you're an unbeliever. What about this? What about that? I think Peter is coming alongside and saying, no, 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 no. Your hope, if you're hoping in Jesus, is in God for glory. He talked about that earlier in chapter 1. Glorification, resurrection, yours is sealed and done and taken care of because his is. So I want to say, in other words, it's worth it. He deals with your greatest, greatest need and problem. And knowing this helps me to live like an elect exile. See, we haven't been glorified yet. I need to be reminded of that. I think we should be done. What a terrible sermon conclusion. But as one pilot told me, a good landing is when you walk away from. So, that was a great landing, wasn't it? Because we're going to walk away from it. Jesus Christ is a great Savior who really lived and really died in time and space, was crucified on a Friday afternoon outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. And He did that because you're a real person living in real time and real space and you're going to die and you're going to meet your Maker and the Bible says it's been appointed for you to die once and then comes judgment. It's only in trusting in Christ, the one who has already conquered death, that you or I find not hope in hope, but true hope, which is confidence regarding the future. Trust in Christ and keep trusting in Christ and know that as a believer in Him, you are an elect exile. This is not heaven. Heaven is yet to come, but it most certainly, absolutely, without any question, as sure as the tomb is empty, will come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Omaha Bible Church. Thank you for a perfect Savior. Thank you for a great hope in Him. Thank you for the fact that we believe in Him because of what He's done for us. Thank you that we believe by the power of the Spirit who has caused us to be born anew. Thank you that all that we would ever possibly ever need is ours in Christ. Please help the men and women who are here this morning and the boys and the girls. Help them to keep their eyes focused on Christ and have that be what motivates them to live their life now in a way that would be holy and honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.